Welcome to the first episode of the Mind Maladies podcast. In this episode, we're going to be diving into some of the causes and harmful effects of the stigma around mental health. But before we begin, I would like to highlight some of the accomplishments of our guest for today, Dr. Stephen Hinshaw. He is a professor at Berkeley who has authored 325 articles and chapters, along with 25 books. Recently, he has received the 2020 Sarnap Prize for contributions to understanding and treating mental health conditions and stigma prevention efforts. Now, time for the episode. All right, today we are joined by Dr. Stephen Hinshaw. Uh, Can you introduce yourself? I'm Steve Hinshaw. I'm a professor of psychology at UC Berkeley and a professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at UC San Francisco. I do a lot of research in clinical and developmental psychology, uh, helping kids with psychiatric and neurodevelopmental disorders. And I'm extremely interested in reducing the stigma that still clings to all forms of mental and neurodevelopmental conditions. Mm -hmm. So you're an expert on stigma relating to mental health. What does this mean to you? What does stigma mean to you? So that could be a very long answer. In fact, it could be a book of an answer because I wrote a book over 10 years ago now called The Mark of Shame, uh, Stigma of Mental Illness and an Agenda for Change. And stigma is a, um, it's a harsh word to even say it. Stigma kind of sticks in your mouth. It refers literally to the instruments, the sharp knives, tools, branding irons used in ancient Greece and even Rome to brand, burn a mark into the skin of someone who was a traitor or a former slave or an outcast from society. Now, today, stigma is not usually a literal brand. Concentration camp uh, inmates in World War II were branded with numbers. Uh, Some countries branded visibly HIV-positive individuals in the 80s. Most stigma today is inferred, it's psychological. You're a member of a group that's racially a minority or out of favor or religiously or your sexual orientation, although that's of course changing, we hope more and more these days, or you're crazy, you're a lunatic. Those are obviously terms for mental illness uh, used in the past. You're not a full citizen, you're not fully human. You don't deserve the rights of everyone else. So stigma literally means a brand but today figuratively means the degraded status, the devalued status of someone who's in a group that's not acceptable to society. Yeah. In your opinion, what do you think causes the stigma, especially around mental health? Well, there's a whole chapter around that in my book and subsequent writings. Uh, Maybe number one, we humans were a very social species. We could have never survived without our social abilities and skills. But if we're too social, we might get exploited by fellow humans. So an evolutionary theory is that we've been naturally selected to be wary of people who might look contagious with an illness or wary of people who have low social capital who might cheat us or for people who look and act so differently from us, kind of a different tribe uh, is the way some people put it. Those are the signals to us to banish or, or get rid of, if you will, Uh, take the rights away from people in groups that look like that. It means that we humans stereotype, we have to sort of do that because there's so many social contacts we have, at least before COVID. But when the stereotyping, which is not necessarily negative, leads to prejudice and discrimination, then stigmatization can come in 
where we basically say, you're like everybody else in you gr your group. You have schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, PTSD, ADHD, autism spectrum disorders. You're no more than, you're not an individual, you're no more than that group membership. So stigma might also accrue from the media. Most, even though things are improving, most media depictions of mental disorders are of people who are either violent or incompetent. Uh, it might come from the fact that all societies we know are hierarchical in some ways, some more than others. And if we see someone who isn't doing so well, maybe doesn't have control of their faculties, I guess we could try to make things equal and give them chances. But if we put them down and take away rights, in some ways it justifies we don't have to feel guilty because it was their fault. So long story short, there's sociological, anthropological, evolutionary reasons for stigma. It remains in terms of mental illness. A lot, I think, has to do with there, but for the grace of God go I, that person's acting irrationally. That person may not be as smart as everybody else, intellectual disabilities or learn as well, learning disabilities. We don't want them in our group because they will not make us, they will make us a less productive society. Right. So you mentioned the media. So how do you think the media is continually perpetuating mental stigma in today's society? So uh, there's been a lot of talk about this and writing about this and books on this uh, for a long time. When sort of the modern television era came out and people started studying depictions in sitcoms or the news or what have you, mental illness, violence and incompetence have been the longstanding themes. Mm -hmm. Even cartoons, Looney Tunes, Looney, in fact, many of the characters in Looney Tunes cartoons are kind of caricatures of, of various forms of mental illness or stuttering or, or other neurodevelopmental disorders. So what do we do with that? Well, if we could convey to the public that some people have cancer, they need treatment. Uh, cancer was highly stigmatized back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and 60s. You never put in the obituary of your relative who died of cancer what the cause was. They died of natural causes or of an unknown illness because it was thought to be an illness you brought upon yourself, uh, essentially because you'd lost the will to live. Look how attitudes have changed. But media depictions of people who are hearing voices or psychotic or people who don't learn so well or don't seem as intelligent, even though there's more human interest stories, and even though there's more humanization, recent research shows that still today, headlines, I mean, what's the public view of someone with a severe mental disorder? A deranged looking young man in his 20s who's a school shooter, or the people in the free, under the freeway overpass that you see who are homeless and muttering. That's a tiny percentage of mental disorder the stereotype remains of violence and incompetence in way too much of the media. And I think it's a, a lot of celebrities and athletes are coming out of the closet about their struggles with mental health issues. Yeah. That's great. But if it's only celebrities, well, John Nash, remember A Beautiful Mind, the book and the film from about 20 years ago now. I guess if you have schizophrenia, uh, let's see, you win the Nobel Prize in economics like John Nash, or you're a muttering homeless person on the street. Where's the everyday? If mental illness is depicted as being a supervillain or a superhero, but nothing in between, I think that's what's really changed the tide on cancer is so many typical people now mm -hmm. battling cancer 
have their stories told and it generates empathy on a wide scale. Yeah. So stemming off of the media, I feel like American culture has done that to mental health as a whole as well. It's also depicted in many magazines, books, it's, it's seen everywhere and it just keeps on enforcing the stereotype onto mental health. So in your time researching stigma, what disorders have you noticed suffer the most from stigma? Like they're the most stigmatized. So most theory and research would say uh, HIV is more stigmatized than the flu. The more chronic and severe disorders receive more stigma than the milder and transitory ones. And so by that theory, people with schizophrenia who hear voices and think very unusual delusional thoughts and act irrationally would receive a lot of stigma. And that's true. Bipolar disorder in a severely manic or depressed phase, PTSD, severe depression. However, there's an interesting twist on this. Sometimes conditions like ADHD in kids or even adults, for example, they're marked by consistent inconsistency. So you may be doing fine in algebra, but then your learning and attention problems get in the way in English and you're upset with the teacher and bothering your peers. What do kids think? Well, Steve, if I'm the student in question here, he can hold it together some of the day. Why can't he hold it together the other part of the day? Or in terms of autism spectrum disorder, intriguingly, parents will tell you that the most severely affected kids with ASD, autism spectrum disorder, not speaking uh, in complete sentences, clear developmental delays, often receive more support than the kid with what used to be called Asperger's or high functioning now ASD, who's maybe very smart, but speaks about very restricted interests and has unusual mannerisms. Parents will tell you that the other kids in town and the neighbors in town will say, he's just weird or she's just weird. We really have empathy for the person with more severe autism. Maybe you're just not trying hard enough if you've got ADHD or, or mild or, or, or high functioning autism spectrum disorder. So yes, on average, the most severe conditions and the ones that in, engender the most uh, irrational behavior tend to receive a whole yeah. lot of stigma, but even milder or more transitory conditions can if we believe that the person is mm -hmm. hugely uh, personally responsible for those symptoms. So relating to that, what populations tend to have greater or lesser stigma or less subpopulations tend to suffer so from stigma? You're talking about more culturally than in terms of mental health categories? Yeah, uh, like cultures. Well, this is uh, a very intriguing question. Um, we might think, well, as individualistic American high pressured uh, for achievement society, there's more stigma. In a more collectivist society, like many Asian cultures, there'd be less stigma because the, the greater good is emphasized. Well, but in some of those Asian cultures, if there's mental illness in you or in your family and you're a bride-to-be in an arranged marriage, uh, you're stigmatized, you're in a lower caste. And so the short answer is, sadly, tragically, stigma regarding mental health issues is pan-cultural. It's nearly universal. Yeah. Some communities provide much more support. We know that giving access to evidence-based care, whether medications for severe conditions or psychotherapy or combinations or group support or family therapy, when people with mental health issues 
can learn to cope. We don't really have cures for mental illnesses. We don't yet have cures for cancer either, but with treatment, recovery, and hope, that may be the best way in many ways to reduce stigma. And certainly with HIV, once the cocktail, triple cocktail, antiretroviral medications emerged in the 90s, stigma against HIV went down dramatically because now it's a disease you can cope with rather than kind of a death sentence. So treatment is part of the anti-stigma movement as well. So for the everyday citizen, everyday person, what stepping stones can we all take to try to put an end to the stigma encompassing mental health? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great kind of semi-concluding question. I look at climate change, I look at racism, I look at stigmatization of mental health issues as big problems. They're not simple. One size will not fit all. One level of approach will not fit. For mental health stigma, we need to enforce the Americans with Disabilities Act. We need to ensure true parity for mental health as opposed to physical health condition coverage. We also need to have much more accurate media depictions. We also need to promote in the workplace that the prevalence of mental health issues is so high that if we fired everybody with depression or eating disorders or what have you, we wouldn't have a workforce left. Everybody wins if we pitch in and help. And finally, I think humanization, looking beyond the stereotype and the label, everybody's afraid of the loony bin, uh, the psychotically deranged Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. But when you get to know someone who's struggling with a mental health issue, they're a person first and a disease later. And I think all of these multi-level strategies are, are really going to be required to move yeah. the dial significantly. So let's say you know someone who suffers from a mental health disorder and they're being constantly stigmatized, like let it be their family, school, whatever it is. What are some long-term effects of that stigma on them? Well, so this is a, an important question. What I've been talking about and your questions have been dealing with mainly are public stigma when society deems a certain group mm -hmm. as outcast. But one of the huge consequences for all forms of prejudice and stigma and particularly in mental health stigma is if I'm a member of the group with anxiety and eating disorder depression, and I know if I've been under a rock my whole life, I might not know what's on social media or TV or the radio, right? But if I know what the stereotypes are and how my group is denigrated, I'm highly likely to internalize. I feel terrible about myself. I'm flawed. And research clearly shows that if I'm a person with a mental health condition and I've internalized societal stigma, what am I likely not to do? I'm likely not to get into treatment. What am I likely to do? If I'm in treatment, I'm likely to drop out. So sure, we need better health coverage, health insurance policies to ensure evidence-based treatment and its dissemination. But by reducing societal stigma and therefore reducing internalized stigma, people mm -hmm. will have a fighting chance of recovering and getting the help they need. Yeah, I agree. So one ending question, how would you describe your field relating to COVID and how has it changed in like the last year? Well, we still are adjusting to the change. It's been uh, 10 months plus of lockdown at this point or very close to it uh, in most of the, of the states uh, and, and around the world. And we know that maltreatment of kids is up. We know from preliminary data that levels of depression and anxiety and loneliness are up. PTSD might not be far behind. 
maybe this is going to produce an unprecedented mental health crisis. And some people are predicting that. A silver but before we begin, I would like to highlight some of the accomplishments of our guest for today, Dr. Stephen Hinshaw. He is a professor at Berkeley who has authored 325 articles and chapters, along with 25 books. Recently, he has received the 2020 Sarnap Prize for contributions to understanding and treating mental health conditions and stigma prevention efforts. For lining is maybe because everyone's been affected directly or indirectly by the COVID pandemic and many families are experiencing stress and can you go back to school or can you mm -hmm. uh, go to all Zoom classrooms and people crowding into spaces where they haven't before. Maybe we'll cut ourselves some slack as a species. And see a decrease in stigma maybe? And see that, yeah, maybe we're all in this together. Everybody's feeling super stressed, yeah. depressed and wanting to get out of the pandemic. So one of my hopes is we might emerge from the pandemic with more of a sense of community rather than the sense of stigmatization. Yeah, that's great. I hope so too. I hope so. That's, that's all I have for you today, Dr. Inshaw. It was lovely having you. Thank you for talking to me today. Terrific. Thanks for your really good questions. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure you check out the link in the description to the Mind Maladies website. See you guys in the next episode.